Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here is a quick announcement. Our June Heart-Centered and Passion-Driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is now live at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. This month's theme is Happy Graduation, Dream, Achieve, Become, and a Father's Day special tribute. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our kitchen table Conversation today, my guest is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be talking about Chicken Soups for the Soul 30th anniversary celebration, which includes their special edition release, the original Chicken Soup for the Soul, plus 30 bonus stories. Good morning, Amy. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, and congratulations on the super accomplishments for Chicken Soup for the Soul. How are you doing today? Well, good. I'm, uh, I'm excited that it's our 30th anniversary. It's kind of hard to believe. It's been 30 years since the first book <laughs> came out. And I've been doing this, well, really 16 years now. I mean, 15, mm-hmm. 15 and a quarter years since we bought the company. But I was working on Chicken Soup for the Soul stuff for nine months before we actually closed on mm-hmm. the acquisition. So for yeah. me, it's actually been... 16 years. That's the longest. That's three times longer than any other job I ever held. <laughs> that's fascinating. Really fascinating. Hey, for me, I tell you what, I, you had mentioned the fact that today is actually the 30th anniversary itself, right? So I am like all glee. Wow. <laughs> I know you got the interview. On the actual mm-hmm. day. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I appreciate everything you've done because for the last, my gosh, 14 years or so, you've been with me about once a month talking and sharing some inspiring and inspirational stories, and that has been really, really wonderful. I truly appreciate that. Well, thanks for having me on to do it. It's been fun to review the stories and share them with your listeners, and because of your format being a whole hour, it really gives us time to tell the stories so mm-hmm. that your listeners get maximum benefit from them. Yes, it's true. It's true. Thank you so much for that. And you know what? Let's get started by actually learning more about Chicken Soup for the Soul. Please tell us about the history of Chicken Soup for the Soul. So Chicken Soup for the Soul came about because there were two motivational speakers, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, who were doing something that seems obvious now but wasn't as obvious back then, and that was that in their motivational speeches where they were teaching people how to lead, you know, happier, more productive, more successful lives. They were using true stories, you know, from real people's lives because we all do learn better from true stories than we learn from, you know, dry essays Mm -hmm. or to-do lists, you know, writing in journals and writing in journals is fine, but the way we learn the best is by hearing stories about other people because we can, identify with those and they're more memorable for us and it is the way that mankind has been sharing wisdom and culture and advice for thousands of years right even before Mm -hmm. the written language so jack and mark had both been asked by people to take some of their stories and put them together in a book and so jack started working on it and he had maybe two-thirds of a book that he found and he was having a meal with Mark one day and he told him about it. Mark said, I've got the rest of the stories that you need. So they decided to do it together. Mm-hmm. And then it's unclear who came up with the name chicken soup for the soul, but whoever yeah. came up with it first, <laughs> they both loved it because it's, it's something that people really understand, right? Like when you're a right. kid and you're homesick from school and your mom makes you chicken soup it it represents warmth and love and 
the fact that you're being taken care of. If there's just something really medicinal about actual chicken soup, which has been proven scientifically to actually have medicinal value, but mm-hmm. also emotionally it has value. And all over the world, people use chicken soup or chicken broth for its curative properties. So it's a concept that everybody around the world understands, which helped to make chicken soup for the soul an international sensation as well as a sensation in the U.S. and Canada. So when Jack and Mark created this volume of 101 Stories, they went around looking for a publisher. According to the legend, they were rejected by 144 publishers. I didn't know there were 144 publishers 30 (laughs) years ago, so let's just say they were rejected by every publisher they could find. Right. But then they found one guy who basically said, I will run off copies for you. But I heard he actually charged them for the copies. But he was ostensibly their publisher. And it turned out mm-hmm. he was great at it. He was great at distribution. So they started out with their amazing sales skills, selling the books in the back of the room where they made their speeches. And, you know, mm-hmm. no matter where they went, they had those books in the trunk of the car and they every day did five things to help sell the book. And they sent free copies to every person of influence they could think of. So between their excellent sales skills and that original publisher's wonderful ability to distribute the books, they became a publishing industry sensation. And the first book reached something like a million copies sold in the first year and a half, which is sensational, really sensational. So then people came to them and said, you should do one for mothers. You should do one for teenagers. They started doing topics. And that's how it turned into a real publishing company. So then 15 years passed, and they had this small group of people who were creating these books. And they had, I think, almost 200 different versions of their books, you know, in print. Mm -hmm. And then they decided it was time to hand off Chicken Soup for the Soul to someone else because Jack and Mark were still operating their independent businesses. And that's really what was important to them. They are motivational speakers. They are prolific authors. They do workshops. They're sought after for speaking all around the world. So we came along, uh, a small group of us, mostly family and friends put together the money plus some debt that we took on. And we bought, Chicken Soup for the Soul from Jack and Mark. And terrible time to buy it. It was 2008, Mm -hmm. and it was just as we were entering that terrible recession, which was the worst recession we'd ever had since the Great Depression. So it's a miracle that we actually survived. But we managed to survive for the few years of the recession. And then by around 2012, things started to get better, and we started to you know, thrive. And we've done some interesting things since then. First of all, we changed the way that we published the books. We changed the titles to Chicken Soup for the Soul and then the topic of the book instead of the mm-hmm. old style, which was Chicken Soup for the Soul for the something soul. Mm-hmm. So by mm-hmm. separating it, I'm able to do whatever topics I want. So you know, because I've been on your podcast so often, we right. do all kinds of interesting topics. The other thing is that Chicken Soup for the Soul moved way beyond the bookshelf. So we already had very popular dog food and cat food, which we had done through a licensee. We took that business back mm-hmm. in-house, and so now it's our business, and we still have a very popular line of dog food and cat food, which is flourishing, um, made in the USA, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is good because sometimes people have recalls on pet food that's made in China, um, it's a super high quality. Breeders recommend it when they're selling, you know, puppies. They'll say, like, mm-hmm. you, you have to use chicken soup for the salt puppy food. So we have that. And then the really big thing that we did was we started an entertainment company. And that's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue now versus the pet food business, the tens of millions mm-hmm. in the book business, which is just millions. You know, the book business is <laughs> tiny. My little book business is so small. 
compared mm. to the rest of Chicken Soup for the Soul. So what's cool about the entertainment business, and I think this, this would be very surprising mm-hmm. to people, is that we are one of the largest streamers of free television and movies. So you can go to our apps, Crackle, Popcorn Flicks. Also, we have a Chicken Soup for the Soul streaming channel. You can go to those and you can watch thousands of television shows and movies that you've heard of and some great Mm -hmm. ones you haven't heard of also. Because, you know, sometimes a great movie comes out, but it's just the wrong time and it doesn't doesn't get picked up and it's got big actors in it. And then you come across them later and you're like, I can't believe that so-and-so was in that movie and I never heard about it. So we've got all of that. And so you can, you know, be entertained for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, by watching our streaming services. And then also, we own Redbox. So Redbox has those red kiosks that you find outside Walmart and Walgreens and mm-hmm. lots of different retailers, grocery stores, big box stores. Mm-hmm. And those, um, those red kiosks dispense DVDs. And you can go and get movies, and you can rent them for just $2.25 which is a great price because if you stream those movies, you know, and you paid for them, you might pay like $6 or more. So we also are Redbox. So that's something that most people don't realize, that Chicken Soup for the Soul owns Redbox. Interesting. Very, very interesting. That's really, really interesting. So how did you all get involved in terms of wanting to buy Chicken Soup? What was the appeal So what happened was that I had a friend who was dating a guy who knew a guy who worked for Jack and Mark. (laughs) So the guy who was dating my friend told Mm -hmm. my husband about this over a grill. We went over to my friend's house for a barbecue. And my husband saw the potential, you know, take that chicken soup for this old brand name. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, develop it. He could just see it. Although, basically, my husband could take any business and turn it into an entertainment company. That's just how he's wired. So that's how we learned about the fact that Jack and Mark were willing to find somebody to take on the legacy. And I think they're really pleased with what we've done. I mean, it's everything that they imagined it would become when they sold it to us. And I just talked to Jack recently, and he was saying how much he loves the new books and everything else that we've done with the Chicken Soup for the Soul brand name. That's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. You know, because you guys are coming in from a perspective of the Wall Street view, right? And they are looking at it from a hot-scented passion in a way. I mean, both of y'all from hot-scented, don't get me wrong, but it's interesting with Wall Street or <laughs> meet Main Street kind of thing, because they were, uh, they were, you know, they their passion is to help people with stories. It it just shows <laughs> that you can run a successful business even as you're helping people, and I think that actually Wall Street yeah. is becoming more aware of that because now there are investment funds yeah, that actually yeah. have in their charter that they can only invest in companies that do good in the world, and oh. they can't invest in companies that don't do good, like they can't invest in tobacco companies or Mm. or other companies that hurt people. And so um, I think we're a good example of that, that you can grow a big business even as you're doing stuff that's good for people. Certainly our books are good for people. (laughs) Our pet food is super high quality and provides nourishment to, you know, our most important four-legged family members. And then the fact that we're providing all of this, programming all these television shows and movies for Mm -hmm. free to anybody who wants to come and watch them. Right. Yeah. We're doing a lot of good and yet we still are building a big business. Beautiful. That's really wonderful. So what are some of the surprising facts about chicken soup for the soul you found out? So when we bought the company, the internet was was prevalent, of course, 15 years mm-hmm. ago, but it's become even more embedded in people's lives since then. Because 15 years ago, 
we didn't all have high-speed internet to our homes. Right. And now we all do. <laughs> you know, it's rare to find somebody who doesn't now. Um, and even your phone, you know, gets right. high-speed internet now, even over the cellular network, and that wasn't the case back then. So we've become way more internet-focused. So when we first bought the company and, and I put, put together the first few books, I was scrambling to get like a thousand submissions for each book. Mm-hmm. And now we get thousands of submissions for each book. So it's become really hard to get a story into our books because we only picked 101 to go in each book. Right. But it, it has meant that the quality of the books has been superb. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that would really surprise people that but the stories that are chosen are chosen from thousands of submissions. And I think another thing that probably surprises people is that we have so many different titles. Because sometimes somebody will say to me, oh, yeah, I've read your books. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, okay, I don't think you've read 300-plus books. You know, <laughs> and they think there have been four. So I don't think that people realize how many there are, especially I find this among like women in their 20s and 30s who grew up right. with chicken soup for the preteen soul and chicken soup for the mm-hmm. teenage soul. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, oh, I loved your books, you know, when I read them. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and I'm thinking, but we're still here for you. I've got all these great titles that are perfect for you now that you are a 20-something or a 30-something. Mm-hmm. And so I think that surprises people that what they do is they look at Chicken Soup for the Soul and they make it into what they expect it to be. So yes. they, they look at it as like, okay, Chicken Soup for the Soul makes books for teenagers. No, we make books for every age. And we're still here for them. We've grown up along with our readers. So that's mm-hmm. another thing I think that surprises people is the depth of the titles that we have. Right, right. I know certainly over the years, the even the book covers, we've not talked about that, but certainly y'all have really made some beautiful changes and it's extremely engaging. I mean, when it's all said and done, respectfully, we are told not to judge the book by its cover, but in reality, I mean, you know, book cover sells. <laughs> totally. I absolutely know that. And when I pick a book to read for myself, I pick it based on the cover. I mean, there's a big bestseller out right now that's been made into a movie, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to read it. And I resisted reading it for months because mm-hmm. I hated the cover and I hated the <laughs> font that they had chosen for the cover. I just couldn't get past the ugly font they had chosen for the cover. Uh-huh. And then hmm. I started reading books by that same author, but not the ugly book. And then I finally gave uh-huh. in and I read the book. And it was good, but that it really put me off. So we try really <laughs> hard with our covers. And one of the things that we do is you've got to make a cover that not only looks good in the little thumbnail that you see on Amazon, mm-hmm. but also that looks good in real life and that will draw you, you know, across the aisle at the store. So right. Look over at the bookshelf and say, "What's that? I need a cover mm-hmm. that's going to pull our our potential reader across a ten foot space to pick the book up and look at it. Because once they pick it up and look at it, and then they flip it over and read the back cover, I I've got them, you know. But I got to right. get them to go over and and touch it and feel it and pick it up. So true, so true. That's very true. How has being the publisher and editor in chief for Chicken Soup impacted your life? I have learned an incredible amount. Um, I've I've just learned so much about um, what makes people tick. I mean, Mm. I I think I've read about 30,000 stories from people. I think it's that many. And that's stories that we've published plus stories that I've read that we didn't publish but were candidates. And it might even be more than 30,000. these stories are really personal and revealing and, and people are, you know, selflessly sharing with us. Right. And so it, I feel like if you read that many stories from people and you are at all a thinking person, you can't help but be changed. So mm-hmm. I feel like having read all these stories, I've learned what works and what doesn't work for people. And so that's what I try to pass on in the book topics that I select and then the stories that I select to go inside those books. And people tell me that I've changed 
And I think, I mean, it's hard for me to remember what I was like before I started this 16 <laughs> years ago, but, but I think that I can say safely that I'm much more grateful mm-hmm. because I am more aware of the blessings of my life and I'm more aware of the benefit of using the power of gratitude. Um, it really does create a happier person. I also know that I've learned a lot more about forgiveness mm-hmm. and how you can use the power of forgiveness to liberate yourself from past resentment. I know I've cleaned up my life in terms of removing people who were toxic for me or who mm-hmm. you know only created negative negative emotions in my life. Um, I'm more grounded. Mm-hmm. I am way less judgmental. And I also feel like I've just been introduced to all these people across the United States, across Canada, and, you know, throughout the world mm-hmm. who live mm-hmm. very different lives than I live. Mm-hmm. So I think I've developed a much better understanding of people. For example, my husband and I are watching something on Netflix now called Greenleaf. And mm-hmm. it's about... Um, it's about a black church in Tennessee and this family that created this church and basically lives the church. And it's incredibly religious. And my husband is watching it like with his mouth open. He just can't believe there are people (laughs) who live this way. And I'm saying to him, yeah, I'm aware of this because we're not religious people. But I've met so many religious people through the pages of our books that, mm-hmm. you know, I understand the sense of community, um, the support system, um, the, how, you know, how much it contributes to the lives of people who, who are religious and the, the great value for them of mm-hmm. having that in their lives. So, yeah, I've learned a lot about myself and about people in general. And I know that I've gotten a lot of great life tools from doing mm-hmm. this job. So I'll tell you a story. Um, yeah. Well, I've been through a lot of ups and downs in my life in the past, I would say, seven years. So, and I think I reacted to these things better because of chicken soup salt. So my mother died six and a half years ago. And when it happened, I thought, okay, it's my turn to go through this because I had read so many stories from people who had lost a parent and it made me feel less sorry for myself and more aware, like this was going to happen someday and it's happening now Mm -hmm. and I'm going to deal with it. And, you know, not feeling sorry for yourself, not taking bad things personally, but just realizing, Hey, it's just my turn to go through this. That really helps you get through a bad thing. Then a year after my mother died, I was diagnosed with a really bad form of cancer, which I'm still fighting. And I'm in year five now of that cancer. And then last year, my father died. So again, I had to live through that. And my father had had dementia ever since my mother died. I had been caring for my father along with my brother and we, you know, had to go on this whole dementia journey with my father, which is really tough. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most stressful things you can go through, um, especially in the early stages of dementia when your parent doesn't know that he or she has dementia and there's just a lot of battling over everything. So what happened was five years ago, after I'd been through my first round of chemo, my oncologist sent me to see a psychiatrist at Sloan Kettering uh, because I told my oncologist that I thought I needed some help figuring out how to deal with the fear of the cancer coming back, which, of course, it did. Um, And so I went to see the psychiatrist, and the first thing she asked me was, are you here because you want drugs? And I said, no, I don't want drugs. No, absolutely not. I didn't even, even after my massive surgery, I took Tylenol and Advil. Like I rejected all the narcotic drugs that they offered me. Um, 
so I said, no, I'm, I'm just here because I want to try to figure out how to deal with the fear. And so then she said, well, tell me, are you grateful for anything in your life? And I went on for 20 minutes nonstop about how I was grateful for mm-hmm. my good health insurance and my job that I could still do while I was going through treatment and my amazing family and husband and my friends and just the fact that, you know, I could go for treatment at this place that was only a 15-minute drive from my house. And I just went mm-hmm. on and on about all the things I was grateful for. <laughs> she said, okay, um, do you have any unresolved issues? And then I was off and running talking about my mother with whom, you know, I sometimes had a difficult relationship, but how I mm-hmm. understood it and there were no unresolved issues and I understood what motivated her to do the good things that she did and the sometimes, you know, like, I don't know, grumpy things that she did. <laughs> and so I went on about that. And then we talked about some other stuff. And then when we got to the end of our 50 minute, you know, hour, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. she said to me, you do not need to come back. You have all the life tools that you need already. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty amazing, right? But it was because yeah. of what I had learned from Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I, over the course of doing this job, I've developed this understanding that there are basically 10 keys to happiness, at least 10 keys to happiness from mm-hmm. my point of view. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and I even put out a book last year called Your 10 Keys to Happiness, which is a great summary of everything I've learned doing this chicken mm-hmm. for the soul job. That's fantastic. You need to share it with us right now, the thank key to happiness. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm absorbing okay. all this. And that's real life, though. You know, I think it doesn't matter where you're at or what position you have in life, where you grow up and so forth. There's one thing that my mom has always mentioned to me growing up is the fact that because of she's being older, right? I mean, she's a mom, right? She's always said you know, I will always taste more salt of life than you have. And in this case for you, you know, Amy, because of your exposure to all the different stories and then plus your own personal stories. And, you know, you're cooking that gumbo. And now you're about to serve us that 10 keys of to happiness. <laughs> I think you're right. I think I took all of that and made a fabulous gumbo from it. And, and you're right. I mean, I have my own experience from being in my 60s. So all those years yeah. of experience to draw from. But then really the experience from thousands of other people who shared their mm-hmm. stories. And all of mm-hmm. that has come together to create an even better understanding in me of what will work for people. So I have these 10 keys to happiness. Two of them, I think, are essential. I don't think you can be happy without them. And then the other eight are really good things to do, but you don't have to do all of them. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the two that I think are essential. One of them is you got to be able to count your blessings. you got to use the power of gratitude. And we have hundreds of stories from people who were not happy in their lives and who then got a suggestion from somebody to keep a gratitude journal. Now, half of us are probably naturally grateful. Like, I think you're probably a naturally grateful person based on what I know of you. And I'm basically a naturally (laughs) grateful person. But a lot of people are not. And the cool thing about gratitude is that it's a personality trait that you can add on and there are not very many person, personality traits that we can add on, right? We're mostly fully baked, however we are. But this is one you can add on, and it's really easy to do it. So people do this all the time. You sit down each night. You write down three good things that happened during the day. And it could be something really major like, you know, I called a friend I had spoken to in 10 years, and And she was thrilled to hear from me, and we're talking now. Mm -hmm. Or it could be something minor, like I went to the bank and I picked the right line. I picked the short line. You know, what? it could be something (laughs) like that. But you have to write down three things every night, and it has to be a different three things every day. And at the end of a month, you'll have written down 
90 things that you're grateful for. And what happens is during the course of each day, you'll find that you're looking for those good things and it changes your outlook because you're looking for, you're, you're actively looking for good things. And so you're focusing on what you have in your life instead of what you lack. And people have just completely turned themselves around and have become glass is half full people instead of glass is half empty people. Right. And so, you know, so that that's a really easy one to add on to your life and it really makes a difference. Now, the other one that I think is essential to happiness is freeing yourself with forgiveness. So we all have resentments and disappointments and hurts and insults and different things we carry around with us that people have done to us. Sometimes on purpose and often they've done them by accident because they're just clueless. Right. And I like I like to th- I like to think of that as if you're wearing a cloak. So you've got this cloak and onto it you've sewn like a piece of metal for each bad thing that happened in your life. And now you're trying to walk forward <clears throat> but this heavy cloak is weighing you down. What if you could sh- shrug off that cloak and leave it behind you? You know, mm-hmm. leave it in the past, which is where it belongs. <coughs> Excuse me, I have to drink some water. Yeah, yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's true. Very, very true. Because we, hey, this is not just so much a mental thing. I know when I moved from Baton Rouge to uh, Dallas, this is something really <laughs> cute and funny because. I had a friend that come over and helped me pack, right? And she said, okay, uh, have you worn this for the last couple of years? No. And she threw it to the right. And I said, oh, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to hang on to it. <laughs> I was like, no, you know, it's out of date, out of fashion. You need to move on. <laughs> we do carry around a lot of stuff with us. So yeah. if you, so here's something cool about forgiveness that I, I actually didn't understand what the word forgiveness meant. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness means not that you're telling that person who wronged you that it was okay not to worry about it. Forgiveness means that you've told yourself not to relive the negative, emotion, um, the negative emotions associated with that. Mm-hmm. So you can say to yourself intellectually, yeah, my sister-in-law did that thing. Or my boss did that thing. <laughs> but you were intellectually knowing that it happened, but you were refusing to feel the negative emotion, emotions associated with it again. Right. That's what forgiveness is. The other thing that you can do is use what I call pre-forgiveness and analyze, well, what made that person do that <laughs> thing just now? Right? Oh, that person actually didn't mean to cut me off when I was driving. He was just clueless or he was absorbed <laughs> in something else. Or maybe maybe the person driving that car is a teenager who's just learning to drive. But if you use pre-forgiveness, you never even get to the point of having something that you have to, you know, not carry around with you. And right. carrying it around with you is what people do. For example, there's a story that we have from a woman named Lynn who was so angry with her ex-husband that her blood pressure rose every time she thought about him, and she thought about him frequently. (laughs) And finally, her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the man. You take him with you wherever you go. And that's what we do when we don't use forgiveness. We take those things with us, which is crazy. (laughs) Now, you talked about getting rid of stuff. That is another one of my keys to happiness and that is mm-hmm. to have less stuff and it could be less physical stuff yeah or it could be less stuff on your calendar yeah so when it comes to less physical stuff i read a great story by one of our contributors she has this <laughs> method that she uses to get rid of stuff and i really think it works and i use it myself now she looks at that article of clothing that she hasn't worn in a year or that she kept because maybe she'll fit in it again sometime. Yeah. (laughs) And she says to herself, am I holding on to someone else's blessing? Mm. I got rid of about 12 shirts the other day. um, (laughs) And I took them to, to the hospital thrift shop because I hadn't worn them. 
Right. Like a couple of years, a couple of them were really too tight now, and that wasn't going to change. And I said, why am I holding on to these when these are really nice shirts and someone else could use them? I am holding on to what could be good in someone else's life. Like, what's the point of that? Mm-hmm. You know, so, and if you give away a little too much, that's okay. There's Amazon. You can order another one. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I moved a couple of years ago and I got rid of so much stuff. And it's rare, but once in a while I'll say, oh, mm-hmm. I sh- out of the hundred things I got rid of, there's one I wish I hadn't gotten rid of. That's mm-hmm. what Amazon is for, right? <laughs> so um, having less stuff, as you pointed out, is very liberating. Mm-hmm. Because stuff really does create not just physical weight, but emotional weight. It yes. really is nice to look at your closet and see one-third less stuff in there. Like, I guarantee mm-hmm. people, if they go and they get rid of a third of the stuff in their closet, they're going to just get pleasure from their closets going forward and pleasure from the clothes that remain, which are the only clothes they really want. So, oh, yes, anyway, definitely. So that's, <laughs> that's one of my keys to happiness. Another key to happiness is to reach out and help someone else. And this could be really mm. minor. This could be as simple as holding the door open for somebody or you and somebody else are making a beeline for the same line at CVS and letting the other person go ahead of you because Mm -hmm. it's not that important. But or it could be something major like writing a big check to a charity or signing up for a full day of helping at some event that's raising money for a nonprofit. Whatever Mm -hmm. it is, when you help someone else, you feel lifted yourself. And so that's another way to deal with depression. Um, and, and I know it's sometimes actually prescribed by medical professionals. You know, they'll, they'll say to somebody who's, you know, like suffering from clinical depression to go out and do volunteer work. And it really makes right. a big difference. Right. Another one of my keys to happiness, this is going to sound like, I don't know, sickly sweet, but really it's not because I'm a very practical person. And that is to use your positive thinking. Mm -hmm. Why is that practical and not sickly sweet? Because you can actually make your life better in a measurable and also instantaneous way. For example, Mm -hmm. smiling. So this is going to sound so much like I'm some kind of chicken soup for the soul lady. But (laughs) Smiling really works. If you are having a bad day and you start smiling at people, just force yourself to do it, they will smile back at you. They will change Mm -hmm. the way they react to you. You smile Mm -hmm. at the cashier at the store, the cashier will change the way he interacts with you. Smiling diffuses anger. Smiling Mm -hmm. brings out the best in people. I find that if I do it, even if I'm not feeling it, If I smile at people, it will change how they relate to me and it will change how the rest of my day goes. And so that's one that really works. Another way to think positive, I love this. We had a story from a woman who learned one of the most important life lessons when she was in third grade and she learned it from a fifth grade teacher. And what that was, was that, she was afraid to go out on the playground because she was afraid that she wouldn't get picked to be in any of the games that the other third graders were playing. So she stayed inside the building and this fifth grade teacher found her and said to her, you walk out onto that playground like it's yours. And so this little third grade girl mustered up her courage and she strode out onto that playground like it was hers And these boys immediately picked her to be Wonder Woman in their game that they were playing (laughs) on the Jungle Gym. And she has now used that in everything in her life. When she was a newspaper Mm -hmm. reporter and she had to interview Laura Bush, she walked into that room like it was hers. Mm -hmm. She's been doing this her whole life. She had to do a speech in front of a bunch of at-risk youth and she was really nervous about it, but she walked out onto that stage like she owned it. And then right. one of the girls came up to her after and said, you know, Ms. Davies, 
how are you so confident? And Lori Davis thought to herself, I wasn't confident at all. I was incredibly nervous. But you walk out onto that playground like it's yours. That is great advice that we can all mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's totally, totally awesome. Amy, that's the kind of thing that makes the magic out of the, all the chicken soup stories, though, over the years and all the books and so forth, because it touches people at different times in their life's journey. And I've always had this thing about, I always tell people, you know, regardless of where you are in life, it's irrelevant. And when you hear stories like that, that you can relate, then what you do is that you get into that flow. It's just a natural. It's a validation. You're not alone. That somebody else has been through it and they succeeded. And all you have to do is follow the formula. Yeah, and people pass along their best advice. So another Mm -hmm. one of my keys to happiness is to remember to make me time. Mm -hmm. So this is really important. If you are raising kids and you're this busy mother and your life basically feels like it's a crisis every day, you still have to carve out some time for yourself. I remember when I was raising my kids, my time was from 10 to 11 each night. Nobody was allowed to invade that hour of my time because that was when I got to sit down, put my feet up, and read. And I was really upset if one of the kids popped out of bed, you know, at, after 10 mm-hmm. o'clock to announce that they were scared or they mm-hmm. needed water or whatever it was because that was my time. But you need to have this time for yourself, this me time. And so we get a lot of stories from people who talk about how they change their lives just by maybe carving out three hours a week to do one fun activity. Like three hours a week, they were going to go horseback riding, and that was their time. Or 30 minutes a day, they got up half an hour early every morning just to carve out 30 minutes of me time before the day started. And that me time could be used for reading or for exercising or for meditating or for reading devotionals and praying. Whatever the me time was, it's so important to have that and you look forward to it and you know you're going to get that time and it helps you get through the rest of your busyness. Definitely. I mean, that's beautiful. I think regardless whether you're a mom, we all need our me time. <laughs> yeah, we really do because we all do for others and we're all so right. busy. And right. It has to be that time. And I still have that me time where, where I read at 10 o'clock every night. That's what works for me. Mm, Beautiful. That's really, really beautiful. I mean, setting everything up, and these are the wonderful things that, my gosh, of all people, though, because you, uh, this is sort of like a job. You know, you have to read all the stories (laughs) and and absorb everything, and now you came up with your own formula for Amy and sharing it with everybody else. To help them. Because I think, I think that the, these 10 things I've come up with, mm-hmm. I didn't just make these up. I mean, this is right. based on me being very analytical. I am a very mm-hmm. analytical person. I used to be a financial analyst on Wall Street. Yeah. And so I'm not saying, oh, I wish such and such were a key to happiness. I'm just going to announce that it is. Right. Mm-hmm. I basically let the 30,000 stories tell me what were the 10 keys to happiness. So another one, I love this one, and I do this all the time, and so does my husband. We're really committed to this, and that Mm -hmm. is to step outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even last night, we went out to um, this really cool vegan restaurant in New York City, and we tried a whole bunch of things we had never tried before. (laughs) And I don't really like mushrooms, but I... I ate every mushroom thing that they gave us. Because I said to my husband, <laughs> I need to learn to like mushrooms. You know, but and he was trying stuff he'd never tried before. Um, yeah. But stepping outside your comfort zone, it expands your life. And I think that we all have this tendency to do what we're comfortable with, what we've done mm-hmm. before. And by accident, we make our lives a little narrower and then a little narrower again and a little narrower <laughs> again. And that's not good. Even right, if you're 80 right. years old, you shouldn't be doing that. 
you should still be trying to expand your world. And when you do step outside your comfort zone and you try mm-hmm. something new or something that's a little bit scary or something where you're really putting yourself out there, you know, mm-hmm. um, you feel so empowered and energized and excited about life. Right, you feel right. proud of yourself for doing it. And your life becomes broader, and that is really exciting. And so, um, you know, I have stories, like in the book about your tendency <laughs> to happiness, in the chapter that's about stepping outside your comfort zone, I have a story about myself mm-hmm. paragliding in Oman, which I found absolutely terrifying, but <laughs> I did it. And then we have a story from somebody who did something a lot closer to home, she took all the white walls in her house, which had been the safe way she had been living for 30 years, and she put <laughs> bright colors all over her walls, you know? She, mm-hmm. she went for bright colors and, and repainted the interior of her house. Another woman decided that she was going to do something new every day for 365 days. So it could have been something really small, like trying a new food or something really big, like, you know, going to a foreign country. But every day she did something that she hadn't done before, mm-hmm. you know. And then we have um, people who reached out. Their way of stepping out of their comfort zone was to reach out to new people. Like one woman moved to a community and she was lonely. Like her kids were at school, so they had friends. Her husband had a job. So, you know, he had people at work. But she didn't have anybody And so she just decided to take this huge risk and announce that she was going to have um, what she called a mommy mixer party. She was just going to (laughs) invite the mothers from one of the kids' classes at school to come to her house and meet each other. And she did it. And boy, did that take courage because she was the newbie in the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we have another story from a woman who was embarrassed about her body, especially her legs. And then she just decided she was going to put a bathing suit on and join a swim team. And she Mm -hmm. did it. And she got over her fear of being seen in a bathing suit. And her life became so much broader and so much more enriched as a result of joining the swim team. So, yeah, stepping outside your comfort zone really works to make you happier. That's beautiful. It's, uh, I've always tell people life is a buffet line. So flavor everything. If you like it, go back for seconds. <laughs> it's a yeah, kitchen for seconds. You're right. It is a buffet. And you got you to gotta choose from everything. You absolutely have to choose. And then when you're really and truly at a buffet, you follow that advice. And you choose foods that you've never tried before. That's the whole idea. I mean, it's pointless to go to a buffet and just zoom in on the one that you ate all the time and you, which the one that you can cook at home, you know? You are so right. I think I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that from you, Johnny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life is a buffet line. Go Yeah. Taste everything that you can and if you like it, go back for seconds. <laughs> I love that. You should you should just like put that on one of those quote services so that people can quote you saying that. Oh. <laughs> and it's well you know, you'd be surprised. And that's coming back full circle about talking about are we looking at the glass half empty or half full? Because one of the things that my mom taught me, you know, when uh, one of my moms, especially my ballroom instructor mom, uh, when it's half full, you want it to be uh, half full in terms of, and this is the interesting part, situations dictate that because half empty and half full is a mindset, right? But the idea is that you always have room for something to be added on. That's the beauty of it. Yes, that is. Yeah. We should all be doing that. Until the there day we go. die, we should be doing that. Precisely. And so it's a big difference because half empty of half full is a mindset, but then the, the thing about it is that, duh, you got that 50% more room <laughs> for good stuff to go in there. So that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. Well, let's talk about this. How can people write for Chicken Soup for the Soul? I talked about how hard it is to get into our books. Mm -hmm. But even though it is hard to get in, most of our books 
about a third of the stories are from people who have no who have never written for us before. Mm-hmm. And some people even get in on the very first time they submit. So you just never know. Um, so you go to our website, chickensoup.com, and if you click on the books pull-down menu, then you can click on submit your story. And there you will see the topics that we're collecting stories about. And then we also have story guidelines where we talk about how to write good narrative nonfiction. And then there's a form you fill out to submit your story. And that's how people should do it. And people say to us, even if we don't pick their stories, that just the act of writing their stories was so helpful to them. You know, that Mm, it was life changing, just putting their thoughts down on paper. And even if we didn't publish their story, they showed it to their family or their friends and, it still had a big impact on their lives. Right, right. So true. That's very, very true. Please tell us about your podcast and education programs because now Chicken Soup has truly expanded its concept. Yeah. So I have a podcast which I've had since 2016. So there's um, 900-something episodes now. used to be five days a week. Now it's three days a week. And what I usually do on the podcast is I um, talk about two stories that are on a similar theme, and I talk about the lesson that I've learned from those two stories, and I share that with our listeners. But I also will do um, interviews. Like right now, my podcast, I'm going to be sharing a lot of interviews with people who wrote the bonus stories for our new edition of Chicken Soup for the Soul, our 30th anniversary edition. So, mm-hmm. like, I have um, I have uh, a podcast episode that's actually that actually dropped today from Dr. Mark Wilson, mm-hmm. and and his story in our new 30th anniversary edition um, is about it's about smiling, but it's not what I talked about before. It's not how you should go out and smile. He goes out and he asks people, what made you smile today? So, you know, I talked about how you could go out and smile at people and it would change their day and change your day. Mm -hmm. But he actually asks them, what made you smile today? So if he encounters, say, cab driver, cashier at the store, um, coworker, whoever it is, he'll say, what made you smile today? And they'll just kind of stop. And you can see like this reset button being pushed. And then they'll smile. And then they'll tell him what made them smile today. Mm -hmm. So he's been using this with people he knows and with perfect strangers. And it has a huge impact. So his, mm-hmm. his episode is, is uh, up today on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast, which is available wherever you like to listen to your podcast. Um, and it's also available on our website. You can go to chickensoup.com and you can click on books and then you'll see the podcast. And you can click on it and listen on your computer or on your phone also right through our website. Um, we have another story that I know you and I mentioned to each other, um, and that's also in our 30th anniversary edition yeah. of Chicken Soup for the Soul, and it's by Joan London. Mm-hmm. It kind of touches on what I mentioned earlier about when my mother died and then we realized my father's dementia was a lot worse than we realized it was, which that's a common thing that happens after one parent dies. You realize that the other parent has dementia that's worse than you thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joan London wrote a really good piece that's in – this 30th anniversary edition of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And it's about what you should do with your parents before you even get to that stage. So before they're really incapacitated, you should sit down and talk to them about what would they like if that day comes that they're incapacitated? Where would they like to live? Who would they like to be in charge of their finances, um, their health care proxies? You know, could they please show you where all their stuff is now before it's too late? And, and you know, it's really important. And, and she did some of that with her mother, but not enough of it. And so 
when she all of a sudden realized that her mother had dementia, she had to kind of rebuild her mother's life because she couldn't find her mother's social security card or anything. Mm -hmm. So she had to go around and get everything rebuilt. So my brother and I sat down with our parents while they were still good. We went to a lawyer. They did their wills. We discussed their wills. We discussed exactly what they wanted. We got their health care proxies. We got the, um, uh, the what is the right of the attorney thing? I can't even remember what it's called now. The, but we got that so that mm-hmm. we could be in charge of their finances when it became necessary. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. It helped so much to have done all of that, um, you know, before it was too late. Right. She talks about right. that and basically gives you like almost a checklist of things that you need to do. The other thing she talks about, and I didn't do this and I so regret it, is she says, get those great family stories from your parents before it's yes. too late. You yes. know, and, um, and, and her story is called Before It's Too Late because, yes. you know, that's so important. So, so those were two stories. And, and you asking me about the podcast made me think about the fact that she's coming <laughs> on the podcast also to talk about her story. Yeah. yeah. Um, you also asked about our education programs. So, mm-hmm. you know, just as we're good for preteens and teens and we have the books for them, we have education programs starting um, at, I think, first grade and going all the way through high school. And so we have uh, a program called Hallway Heroes, which is like an anti-bullying, social-emotional learning program that mm-hmm. helps kids to find value in themselves and therefore not become bullies because the people who are bullies are really the unhappy kids. Right. Uh, so we have these really wonderful education programs, very low price, um, that are available to schools and that are completely certified and rated and all of that. And then we also have a completely free education program, um, which you can find on our website if you click on education, and it's all about animals. And it's uh, about zoos and aquariums and how they basically uh, bring in injured animals and animals that are going extinct, and they rehab the injured ones and provide a safe haven for the ones that are going extinct and they help to rebuild populations. And it's all about um, caring for animals and how good certified zoos and aquariums do that. That's fascinating. That's really, really wonderful. And I'm so glad you brought up the two stories because that's what it's all about. Chicken soup stories are timely and they are evergreen. Because when you talk about smile, and, I, and this is something that I tell people too, a smile is a handshake that's seldom refused. And if they yeah. refuse it, it's their loss. It's not your loss. <laughs> yeah, and it's free and easy. Yeah, yeah. And then not to mention, since you brought up the beautiful story by Joan London, I mean, that's real life situation right now. And it's about preparing. And these are the things, actually, to be honest with you, we all think about it, but we kind of like kick the can uh, down the road, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and, you're uh, right. And it, it's really important to do these things. It's, yeah. It will yeah. create so, amazing peace of mind. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So true. And then especially in our situations right now where life is always busy. So we got to take a little time out to do some things like this. And surprisingly enough, guess what? You get it from Chicken Soup for the Soul. So guys, you all need to go out there and get the original Chicken Soup for the Soul plus 30 bonus stories. It's a real thing, y'all. You will enjoy it. And come to think of it, what is ahead for Chicken Soup for the Soul in the coming years? So we've got uh, a few more books coming out this year. The next one mm-hmm. coming out is called Get Out of Your Comfort Zone because mm-hmm. I think that's so important. So that's a really great book. Um, we have our first coloring book coming out this fall. Cool. The Angels and Miracles Coloring Book. It's going to be a super high-quality coloring book, big, um, thick white paper. <laughs> just, it's just going to be like, the best case, the best example of, of a mm-hmm. high-end coloring book. So we're excited about that. 
And um, and then for the rest of this year, you know, I really recommend that people check out our free streaming services, Crackle and Chicken Soup for the Soul and Popcorn mm-hmm, Flicks, mm-hmm. because how great is that, that you can go there and get all this entertainment for free, and you can watch it on your computer, on your phone, on your iPad, on your smart TV. There's, you know, whatever kind of screen you have, it can be there for you. Beautiful. That's really wonderful. Well, Amy, thank you for sharing the insights about Chicken Soup for the Soul and spending time with me about once a month for the last 14 years as we discuss various inspiring and empowering stories on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. It's been truly awesome. I really, really appreciate your time in doing that. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, it's really, really wonderful. To all our listeners, please join me next Wednesday morning, July 5th at 10 a.m. Central Time, U.S. My guest will be Jane Villagir, also known as Kaliani. She's the spiritually inspired visionary producer, artist, and founder of Stargate Alliance Films and Media. Kaliani and I will be having a conversation about her life's journey and her latest project release, One Earth. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. As always, Amy, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and congratulations, and have a very blessed day. Thanks a lot, Johnny. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.